Hi everyone, welcome back to Provident Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host Isaac, Associate Advisor at Provident. Joined with me today is Brian Chan, Client Advisor at Provident. Hi Brian. Hi Isaac, very nice to be here. Yeah, so for some of you uh, may know that Brian is, has actually been working from anywhere. So we have this work from anywhere program at Provident. And Brian has been working from Turkey for the past six months, is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, around about six months. Yeah, so uh, what do you miss most about Singapore when you were working from Turkey? Uh Two things. The first is uh, definitely family and being around people. So being in Turkey uh, initially, like not knowing anybody and stuff like that, it can be quite uh, lonely, although being in a new place is also interesting. Uh, the other thing I probably miss a lot is the food in Singapore. So it's not, I mean, it's not easy to find Singapore food over there or even uh, Asian food. Uh, so since I've been back, I've been visiting a lot of hawker centers and ordering uh, local food. So glad to see you in person again. You know, for the past six months, we have been um, seeing you through a screen. Uh, but glad to see that you're doing well and settled well in uh, Turkey. Today's topic, uh, we are going to talk about retirement and retirement strategies. You know, you have met many clients, uh, you know, what are their main concerns when it comes to retirement? Um, I think... For most people, uh, when they're retiring, they're really trying to answer the question of whether or not they have enough to retire, right? right. Uh, a lot of the time, they're trying to, they're worried about having a reliable income stream in retirement. A lot of them, uh, it is quite difficult to make the transition uh, from being salaried, having some sort of active income, uh, being able to earn some of that money that they spend, uh, and then transitioning to sort of spending from the resources that they've already accumulated. Uh, so I, I would say that's probably uh, what most of them are thinking about in uh, various different ways, uh, whether or not they have enough to support the lifestyle that they want. Right. So uh, at Provident, uh, we have actually identified five key risks in retirement, uh, namely longevity, inflation, healthcare, investing, and overspending. So uh, could you briefly explain uh, what these five key risks are? Thanks, Isaac. So as you've mentioned, uh, there are five key risks in retirement that we think about uh, most often. The first um, is longevity. Uh, so as the name suggests, it's really about the risk of uh, living too long. Because if you live too long, then you might outlive your resources. Uh, and then if you don't have any money in your older age, uh, that will be troublesome. Uh, the second is inflation, uh, which is really making sure that in your retirement, your your assets, the income that you're able to generate uh, keeps up with inflation and so that you maintain your spending power uh, and that over time your quality of life is not decreasing. Uh, the third would be healthcare, uh, which um, nowadays is talked about a lot in Singapore, which is really the rising cost of healthcare and also the fact that as you age, uh, the chances that uh, you, know, you will be struck with some sort of ailment uh, will rise. La. And you need to be able to address some of these costs that are associated with uh, those situations. Um, the fourth is investing. Uh, investing risk uh, is really about um, the risk that is associated with having your assets put into the market. Uh, so the market fluctuates uh, and that can create some risk la, depending on when, uh, when you need the money, um, etc. At the same time, there's also a key risk uh, that uh, people should be aware of in retirement. Uh, that's the sequence of returns risk, which also falls under investing risk. Um, essentially, depending on the order in which returns materialize each year, uh, that can significantly affect uh, whether or not you run out of money in retirement. 
And the last is overspending. Um, it's really a spending risk. Uh, overspending is most is more commonly talked about, uh, which is if you spend more than you can actually afford and then you run out of money. Uh, but equally important at Provident, we think that underspending is also a risk uh, because nowadays, you know, people want to make sure that they are able to use their resources while they're alive and that they don't leave too much behind and they can't bring it with them uh, wherever they go after. Right, so... Um Underspending would be for people who are like, you know, they're like, oh, if I should, maybe I shouldn't spend so much. You know what, if I don't have enough, you know, they don't really have that um, calculation or the, the parameters, you know, when they are calculating what they can spend in their yep. retirement. So that's actually, is that what leads to um, underspending? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a few things. Part of it could be cultural. So I think, you know, especially in Asia, a lot of people have a very uh, healthy uh, habit of saving um, across their lives. They're very frugal. Uh, they may always save. So that's one thing. But the other, the other thing is that it also uh, becomes a habit after a while. So after you have always uh, saved and, you know, uh, tried not to spend too much, uh, it becomes very hard to sort of switch gears and say that you're going to spend from your resources, especially if you are already used to uh, saving most of your life. And then um, the third reason would be like you mentioned, if uh, one were not to have any clarity on how much they can actually spend sustainably, then it becomes a lot more scary uh, and you will tend to err on the safer side, la, right? Yeah. Spend less. Yeah, right. So um, our focus today will be on investing risk. And of course, a very hot topic in recent times, inflation. So just now, uh, you mentioned for investment risk, there is a sequence of return risk. So why is this risk not as pertinent for accumulators and um, you know people who are saving and investing towards retirement, but mm -hmm. could be devastating for retirees? Right. The reason that sequence of return risk is very pertinent for accumulators is really because uh, as the name accumulators suggests, people who are in that phase of life are still younger, they're still working, they are still accumulating assets. What that means is that they are adding towards their investment portfolio rather than uh, drawing down from it. Uh, what that means is that uh, if you look at the average return of the markets, you know, maybe in the MSCI world over the past, over recent history has done about maybe 9% or so then you know that if they hold for a significant period, uh, they are going to get uh, something close to that average return. However, if you are in your retirement, you know, you're spending, you're actually spending from your assets, then it means that you have to sell or draw down a small portion of that every year. Um, and then the order of the returns matters rather than just the average return. Uh, so for example, if you have a very bad uh, negative return in the starting years of your retirement, uh, that will both impair the portfolio in terms of current value, but at the same time, it also causes you to sell uh, while the market is down. Right. So, so if let's yeah. say uh, there's a bear market, you know, for accumulators, they're just like, you know what, my retirement is still uh, 15, 20 years away. You know, you just like, you know, you can just wait it out. In fact, you can still top up because you're still earning an income. But for retiree, yeah. it's something that, uh, you know, when the market is down, you you know you you probably you don't have an income anymore, so you will have you're living off your investment, so you would have to sell at the low. Yeah, you're right. So behaviorally, it is easier if you have an income because you know that you don't have to touch your investments. You can spend what you're earning. Uh, so behaviorally, it's easier. But also in terms of the practical application, if you are a retiree, you don't have a income anymore. Then the only place that you can get your money is from your portfolio, lah. So you're forced to actually sell when the market is down. Right. Yeah. So the next one would be inflation. So Prior to 2022, 
uh, we have experienced a decade of inflation hovering between zero to two percent per annum. Yep. Yep. You know, uh, I still remember uh, when you know we use three uh, percent. You know, our planning assumption for yeah. for retirees, and you know, a lot of uh, people were saying like, "Oh, you know, is that is that a bit too high?" But yeah. nowadays, you know, we're hearing uh, people say like, "Oh, it's three uh, percent too low." So with you know, with the sudden spike of um, inflation, there about ten percent for most developed countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is that something that should be a cause of concern for retirees today? It is a cause of concern, uh, and it's definitely something that will be on retire retirees' minds. Um, I think uh, as planners, we are also looking at it very carefully. We are also thinking about um, some of these situations, uh, about how it should be handled. Um, on, on the whole, though, uh, we do know that historically, there are periods where there are spikes in inflation, uh, but they typically don't uh, last extremely long. Uh, and if they do, uh, then that's a different question altogether regarding whether or not we need to sort of consider changes to the plans that we've made with clients. La. So, so far, it's only been uh, 2022. As of recording, uh, inflation uh, seems to be trending downwards. Um, so, yep. yeah, you know, if, if let's say we are too reactionary, you know, we start taking everything around and, and making different assumptions, it might not be the most, uh, or rather might not be the wisest thing to do. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, for retirement, most people who retire, maybe if they're 50 plus or if they're 60 and they still have another 30 years to go, uh, that's quite a significant period. And we still expect that in the long run, inflation will trend towards uh, the somewhere between 2 and 3% level. So that's the expectation has not changed, or at least this spike in inflation so far uh, is not really a reason for us to conclude that it will be that way in the long term. You know, if let's say an individual wants to protect themselves from inflation, you know, inflation mm-hmm. risk. Yeah. So what, what kind of instruments or uh, empirically sound instruments can they use to hedge against long-term inflation? Um, that's a good question. I think everybody is thinking about that, especially or was thinking about that uh, maybe over the past couple of years. Uh, there are a few different instruments out there that are pretty good at hedging against inflation. One of them, uh, although not not accessible from Singapore, uh, would be inflation-linked bonds. Uh, those are mainly uh, accessible in the US, but they also have limits on how much you can actually get. Uh, some other things that people like to, to think about are things like gold, uh, things like some sort of uh, commodities, etc., uh, and then, of course, uh, the last one, which uh, I would definitely like to talk a little bit about is equities. La. So I think a lot of the time people don't think of equities as an inflation hedge, but it, it's actually quite a good way to hedge against inflation. Right. So uh, what instrument do we use at Provident you know, to hedge against uh, inflation in that case? Mainly the equity allocation. So I think with some of the others, uh, of course, inflation-linked bonds uh, are directly tied to inflation. Uh, When there is no inflation, however, they do quite poorly. Uh, And then there are also limits on whether or not you can have access to them. Uh, Regarding gold, even though people seem to perceive that it's going to be a good hedge against inflation at all times, uh, there are a lot of historical periods where inflation has been high, uh, but gold has not hedged that well. Uh, So at Provident, we, we really... Uh, use our equity allocation uh, in, with for clients uh, to hedge against inflation in the sense that typically in in periods where inflation is high, uh, stocks will also still do okay, uh, particularly if you're invested in the right sort of portfolio, 
right? So, I mean, if you're looking at the large companies, uh, those uh, established ones, or you are in a very diversified portfolio, uh, then by and large, uh, some of these companies or the stronger ones will be able to hand on some of these increasing costs uh, to their consumers and increase and maintain or even increase their profits. Right. So then they will tend to do well even in these uh, inflationary times. Yep. So, uh, like companies with uh, strong pricing power, for example, you know, if yeah. they say they raise their price, you know, then they're not going to lose uh, as many clients, like you know, as many customers, lah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can think about it in terms of the value that they create, lah. So, like, uh, even though money may be getting devalued, the things that they produce, the services that they provide, are still things that people will need to use, lah. Whether or not people need to pay uh, more for them, they will still use them. So things like food, things like essential services. And the economic value that these companies are producing will be worth more in those inflated dollars, lah. So then they can maintain or grow their profits, right? Mm. Okay, so um, on to retirement spending strategies. Mm-hmm. So you know, in the world of finance, there's so many different strategies for retirement spending. Yeah. So today we'll be touching on a few. Um, the first one would be the very uh, famous study called the Trinity Study, or most people call it the four percent rule. Yes, you know, before twenty twenty two, the the past um decade was uh, a long bull market, and it coincided with the rise of the fire movement, or rather, the fire movement was around for quite a while, but that the past decade really led to the you know we have seen a huge increase in mm-hmm. interest in this. So the fire movement is basically a financial independence, retire early. The most popular strategy, uh, mentioned within this uh, group is the four percent rule. Could you? Briefly explain what this Trinity study is and what the four percent rule is. Uh, sure, Isaac. So the Trinity studies is actually a series of studies done at uh by three professors from Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. Right. Um, their work is actually based on the idea of William Bengen, who people say was the first to sort of uh, define the rule. What he was trying to really find out uh, through his work was how much you can spend from a retirement portfolio without running out of money, uh, and then how long you need to uh, accumulate uh, such money, and then how long will it last. So typically when people say the 4% rule, they're referring to the case where you have a portfolio of stocks and bonds, uh, about 50-50 allocation. Uh, And then if you you use an initial withdrawal of about 4% of that portfolio, uh, and then you adjust that withdrawal uh, by the inflation number as according to the CPI, the uh, consumer price index, then you can continue spending from that portfolio for about 25 years without running out of money. Though you often use this as a rule of thumb, um, can you explain why you know, at Provident we don't implement this drawdown strategy for our clients? It is a good, I mean, it's a good rule of thumb. I mean, for one, the 4% rule uh, is helpful in trying to gauge whether or not you have reached uh, roughly uh, the number that you need for financial independence. Right. So but, if let's say, um, you know, I need 40,000 a year. Yeah. Okay, you want 40,000? A year, you can just use like the 4% rule to say, okay, you need roughly about 1 million. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly right. So you would either divide that 40K, that annual expenditure, that 40K by 4%. Or in other words, uh, you multiply it by 25. Lah. Yeah. Yeah. Then you will get the rough amount that you need for financial uh, independence uh, for 25 years. Uh, of course, uh, we don't use that in particular uh, for a number of reasons. One, you know, you may have a different retirement time horizon, right? Not everybody is going to retire for 25 years. They could retire earlier uh, for longer. 
Uh, of course, there are studies that will that can also indicate the safe withdrawal rate, uh, which is what the four percent uh, rule is actually articulating uh, for different periods. Uh, but of course, four percent only works, or at least has only shown to be effective for that twenty-five year period, uh, and in that particular allocation of fifty-fifty So right. if you have anything so, else different, then yeah, yeah. So especially with uh, life expectancy, you know, every year we can see in most developed countries is going up. Yeah. So I think um, the life expectancy in uh, when the study was conducted, uh, when it was first conducted in 1998, uh, was let's say roughly like five years, uh, less than what it is today. Uh, so uh, could be, could that be the reason why you know this study you know is that a lot of, there are a lot of works that came after this study. Right? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, because this four percent rule only applies to a very specific case, uh, then a lot of other work has come up to define the problem differently, lah, with different investment time horizons, different uh, portfolio allocations, etc. Uh, but I think one thing to remember uh, that is important for this particular strategy is that um, it's actually it requires a lot of discipline, and it's very it requires uh, the investor or the retiree to uh, take a very mechanical approach. So they really have to follow the rules to the letter, right? They have to have the exact uh, same allocation that is prescribed. So in this case, 50-50, they can only withdraw uh, 4% initial and then they have to adjust by inflation every single year. That means doing it regardless of whether the market is going up, whether the market is coming down. You know, sometimes if the market is coming down and your portfolio has shrunk, then it may not feel right to actually spend more than you were last year, for example. And so uh, part of uh, managing such a strategy is behavioral and it's quite difficult to stay the course uh, and do it exactly as prescribed. Right. Okay, thanks, Brian. So uh, another popular strategy is dividend investing. So many people talk about living off dividends either through uh, dividend stocks or REITs, you know. So they'll yep. say something like, uh, you know, I, I just need to buy like these few stocks that they're paying me a very consistent dividend. Yes. You know, and then I'll just live off it and, you know, it's something that I can do forever. Like, you know, as yep. long as you know that you're, you're not drawing down on capital, mm-hmm. you're just holding on to the REITs and you're just collecting the income. So... You know why? What, what's our take on this strategy? Um, it is definitely a valid strategy. I think uh, many people have managed to do it successfully. Uh, but of course, on the flip side, there are many people who also have tried to employ it, but maybe don't get as good results. Yeah. I think uh, there are a few challenges in doing using this strategy. One is that, uh, you know, in some ways, it is sort of uh, concentrated. For example, if you had a portfolio of you know 20 stocks or 30 stocks uh, but a lot of them tend to uh, were in the banking sector or a lot of them are in REITs for example which uh, is where people go looking for dividends uh, then uh, that can present some sort of concentration right. in terms and of recently sectors. the yeah, banking exactly sector right. and the REITs not doing too well exactly yeah. right so the banking sector of course uh, was hit by in the news recently you know SVB etc uh, Credit Suisse uh, but on the on the other hand, REITs also, uh, you know, in a rising rate environment, uh, have been struggling with the rising costs of financing and stuff like that. So they have not done uh, too well in maybe the past year or so. Uh, although uh, that's not to say that uh, that will always be the case, lah. Um, I suppose one of the other things to think about is that for dividend uh, dividend strategy, uh, that's tend amount to holding a hundred percent equity portfolio throughout your retirement. Uh, which behaviorally is quite difficult because there will be uh, significant volatility associated with that. 
uh, portfolio. Uh, and that kind of uh, 100% alloca- allocation to equity may not be right for everybody. La. You know, usually when there is like market drawdowns or bear markets, we can see some companies actually starting to uh, cut dividends, for example. So uh, let's say you are in retirement and you have some fixed expense that you have to uh, cater for. And, um, you know, if there's, let's say, um, like one of your main holdings like have a dividend cut, so that mm-hmm. would definitely would affect your lifestyle, lah. Basically, in retirement, that's the other one of the other challenges would be that I guess uh, di- when you invest with dividends, uh, there's some uncertainty to what the dividends will be. Uh, we can do due diligence and all that, but there always may be situations where a company declares a dividend that perhaps is smaller than what you expect. Uh, in that sense, you have less control over the actual income that you get. Uh, that's really determined by the market, the companies, and the decisions that they make. Uh, at the same time, uh, selection uh, is also something that's quite difficult. It's not easy to select stocks that will maintain their value over time, that will maintain their dividend or even grow their dividend over time. And on that point, the last bit just about the growing dividend, right? A lot of the time when we think about a portfolio, let's say we have a million dollars in in uh, dividend stocks and maybe it's giving us a 4% dividend return. Yeah. Uh, then we spend 40K a year. Uh, that doesn't really account for inflation either, uh, right? In terms of uh, your growing spending needs uh, over time. So, I mean, selecting the right stocks is key and it's usually not something that everybody has the time to really delve into very deeply. Right. So what is Providence approach then, you know, like since uh, the 4% rule, you know, it has its flaws and of course, uh, dividend investing as well, as you just mentioned, uh, of course, the Providence approach would not be entirely flawless, but why do we choose to use our proprietary methodology, Retire Well, mm-hmm. which is actually a cash flow management tool. Yes. You know, it is quite similar to uh, what some may call a uh, marketing strategy. But it is actually, a kind of bucketing yeah, strategy. Yeah, it's, it's a kind yeah. of bucketing strategy. But uh, you know, could you briefly explain um, what you know retire well is? As we just said, I mean, it's a it's a kind of bucketing strategy based off of some of the bucketing strategies that have arose in the US. But really, what we have done is uh, brought it back to Singapore and then uh, adapted it to our needs, lah. It would it would include uh, things like CPF. It will include um, some of the local f- the features of the local landscape. Uh, what it looks like for our clients generally is that uh, we will split the assets that they have today across uh, six seven different buckets, and each bucket will be invested in a different portfolio that will be used to support their retirement in a different way. So the first would be the income bucket, which is really where we place their income producing assets. So it could be uh, rental income, it could be CPF life, um, like I mentioned earlier, Uh, it could be dividend producing stocks uh, or funds. Uh, And really what that is supposed to give them is a very good base for their retirement. So something that will give them a fixed amount of income uh, to support their most essential expenses. Um, and then from there, we need to make up the rest of their desired income from investments uh, and make up for inflation adjustment as well. Uh, so depending on the time horizon of the different buckets, let's say bucket one will be mostly in cash. Yep. Um, and that's really for their first five years of expenses. But once you go to bucket two, to bucket three uh, and further, uh, you will have a little bit of a time horizon, which then you can use that to take some risk. Why do we hold... Five years of expenses in bucket one cash. 
Yeah, so that's really that's really in relation to the sequence of returns risk, uh, which we talked about earlier, which is that if the market is not doing so well, we don't want our clients to be in a tough position of uh, having to draw down from their investments uh, to fund their fund their lives. So uh, having that five years of cash really gives them the assurance that they don't need to touch their investments and that from bucket two onwards, they have at least five years where those investments can be completely untouched. Right, so if let's say a retiree started retire well in, at the start of 2022. Yes. Um, then, you know, obviously the market fell uh, quite, quite a lot last year. Yep. Uh, but, you know, knowing that your next five years of expenses yes. are covered, um, you know, really will give you a sort of a sur- assurance, la, you know, that, you know, you don't have to touch your investments and you don't have to sell it when it's low and you have like a runway for markets to recover. Yes, exactly right. So it gives you, uh, it puts you in a position where you don't have to worry too much about selling out, especially in the short term. Uh, and then it also gives you a little bit of a runway to make the necessary adjustments before before having to draw down from your investments in a bad sequence. So within those five years, you can still you know uh, review your expenses, see what you can adjust if necessary uh, to prepare for when you need the money uh, from bucket two, for example. Okay, Brian, bonus question. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't really prepare you for. Drawing down versus perpetuity strategies. So which do you think makes most sense for retirees? Ah, okay. As a, as a client advisor, this is a question which uh, quite a few clients uh, may ask uh, along the way. Um, really because retire well, um, as we explained earlier, is sort of a spending plan and how you spend and deploy and use your assets in your retirement. Uh, a perpetuity, on the other hand, would be a strategy that assumes you should end up with the same amount or inflation adjusted the same amount that you started with. So essentially in a perpetuity, you'd be generating some sort of income, but then not actually depleting your assets. I think ideally uh, everybody could have a perpetuity and then we spend, uh, we just spend the income and then we still have this pot left over for those people that we love. But I think for most people in a practical sense, uh, it makes more sense to have a spending plan. Uh, if you do really have a desire to have a certain amount at the end of your retirement, we can also plan for that. But then what that really requires is then you have to start with a larger uh, capital. Uh, it's not really just that you have the same capital, you deploy a different strategy and then you're able to generate um, the same amount of income uh, without uh, depleting your assets. Right. Okay. Thank you so much, Brian. Okay. That's all for today's episode. Um, I hope you all enjoyed our discussion on uh, retirement and retirement strategies. Yes, thanks very much for inviting me, Isaac. Yeah. So uh, if you like this episode, please follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar contents. As like always, and share. Like and share. <laughs> yeah, as always, like and share. And uh, thank you for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. 
Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any of use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.